Welcome to another episode of Business Beyond Borders. Today, we have with us Luis Borja, who is an Ecuadorian at attorney at law with extensive experience in corporate, commercial, and information technology regulations, as well as China policies. He is currently a partner at H&W Law Firm's group in Shanghai, and also an associate at Delta Legal Law Firm in Quito. Luis has a strong background in Hispanic Chinese cooperative law and is passionate about integrating new technologies into the legal practice. His expertise extends to various areas of law, including trade, labor, contracts, investments, intellectual property, and more. I'm really excited to learn more about Luis, the many languages that he speaks, as well as his role um, currently based in China. Welcome, Luis, to today's episode. Hello, Daphne. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, of so course, to all the watchers. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll kickstart by, you know, telling us a little bit more about the work that you do. How does your day-to-day -day look like? How do you balance your roles across, you know, being a partner in Shanghai at H&W Law Firms Group, as well as um, your role at Delta Legal in Quito? How do these roles complement each other? Tell us more. Uh, well, my day-to-day -day work is basically starts with uh, my work at H&W Law Firm Group. So usually arrive pretty early at the office uh, to take <laughs> care of. As an international lawyer, you need to be connected at all times, uh, yeah. anytime around the day. So um, basically responding clients that are in their nighttime while I am in my daytime, that is uh, something that I need to start doing every single day. So basically all the mornings are for meetings with mm -hmm. people in the other side of the world. Yeah. Uh, and then responding to emails during the day. Well, basically after all the meetings that I have with the clients or partners in the morning, yeah. uh, the afternoon are basically to, to get all this information together and to come up for solutions for all these uh, clients and their needs okay. uh, in China. Uh, and then connected, connecting uh, at night again to offer these solutions to the clients. So it's it's basically, yeah, it's a very busy, very busy schedule. But, <laughs> busy, is always, busy is always good. Um, but maybe remind us again, what's the time zone difference between um, Quito, Ecuador, as well as in China? It's uh, 13 hours. It's exactly okay. 13 hours, yes. Um, okay, okay, nice. So you're, you're kind of busy all day round. <laughs> yes, yes, but very interesting things happening between Latin America and China. So um, this is this is what is going on. And uh, of course, the work that I do, as, as you mentioned, uh, things related to investment, contracts, yes. uh, labor law, like all these things, uh, yeah, they are very different through yeah. different jurisdictions. So my job is to, to understand not only the laws, but also the sense of mind and the culture in these religions, right? Correct, 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 correct. But maybe we can start from, you know, at the beginning where, you know, you started taking, you had a master's of law in uh, Peking University, you took on a degree there, um, and then now you are based out of Shanghai. Uh, what piqued your interest in the Chinese, re China region and also um, in Chinese policies in general? Well, as a fresh graduate in Quito, so I just ended my law degree in Quito. I was looking for a master's degree. Yep. Actually, this is an interesting story. I was actually looking for a master's degree in environmental law. Okay. And I said, okay, so what is the country that has the most environmental problems to learn? 
learn from. And uh, that was the original idea. So okay. I actually applied for a master's degree in environmental law, mm -hmm. and I got a scholarship from the Chinese government to study uh, Chinese first, and yeah. then in master's. Mm -hmm. And then while well, I arrived in, in uh, Beijing in 2013, and uh, while I was studying Chinese, I kind of realized that I also lacked a very deep understanding on Chinese laws in general. So right. I decided to pursue this, this masters that cover mm -hmm. constitutional law, administrative law, civil law, uh, which for me, it has proven to be much more useful in terms of understanding Chinese legal system in order to serve also my, my clients uh, better. And uh, well, after ending my, my master's degree in Beijing, Mm -hmm. uh, I got approached by a company in Shenzhen that they were developing a technology-based platform for legal services, which yeah. for me was something completely new. I had never seen that kind of uh, mix between technology and legal services before, so I decided mm -hmm. to take uh, the role as the international manager in this company. And uh, this is how we started. This is how I got more in deep into how these new technologies could use us as uh, legal practitioners uh, yeah. internationally. So um, in artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies, all these emerging technologies that at some point I knew that they would have some influence in yeah. our work okay. as legal practitioners. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. We'll, we'll touch a little bit more about the technology aspect in a bit, um, but just wanted to dive deeper into your experience um, in the greater China region. Have you? What are some of the areas that you know you have noticed in terms of regulatory differences across the various dis, um, jurisdictions within greater China itself um, in your day-to-day -day work, and how do you you know address these differences? Uh, well, the differences I have learned uh, during my practice that China even though it's only one country, mm -hmm. um, actually it presents challenges depending on the province, depending yeah. on the city yeah. and on the district. So um, it is like when, when I talk to a client, when they ask me, so for example, they tell me, okay, so how can I establish a company in China? Yeah. I will respond, well, you have to be more specific on, on what, <laughs> what you do or, uh, because it depends on what you are doing, what you're trying to do in China, that you will yes. decide, okay, this is the perfect place for me. And right. then this specific place will have special regulations or certain incentives, yes. even incentives by the city uh, for the businesses, right? So my job is to understand the client needs mm -hmm. first, and then we will look into the best city, the best jurisdiction that works for the best interest of, of the client. So um that that has been a challenge yeah in terms of not only establishing companies also in terms of labor regulations and the legalization yeah. of documents that usually comes that is usually like a, a thing that is being requested a lot mm -hmm. process of legalization of documents which um because of the size of china is there's no there's no centralized system for legalizing yeah. documents. So yeah. okay. um, we would have to move our people to different parts of China in order to accomplish this. Uh, but those are the challenges. I mean, those are the challenges and also the opportunities that China gives us yeah. as, as practitioners. Yes. Yeah. And and how do you personally personally spend the time to understand these the different nuances across the different cities? 
based on the client's requirements. So okay. for me, uh, I do get updated from time mm -hmm. to time on regulations. So yeah. every, every single day, uh, okay, going back to the daily things that I have to do, I also need to be updated on the yeah. regulations. Okay. So I always checking what kind of regulations, uh, what kind of laws are being yeah. discussed um in order to have something new or new knowledge for for the client that is is coming for a request on certain topics from time to time so um but the real challenge uh, comes when the client comes with the with the actual case so i would need to update myself okay so this is how um let's say this is how we recover a debt in a certain city so what are the regulations now what are the guarantees that i can give to the client uh, what things are working now, what things are not working in practice. Yes. So yes. those are the, the the challenges that come from a very a very diverse China in terms yes. of in terms okay. of looking for uh, solutions for the clients. It's very diverse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also, you know, earlier you mentioned there are a lot of recent updates in terms of or a lot of uh, uh, rapid developments in terms of the areas where um, the Latin region is coordinating or um, kind of uh, working together uh, with the with the Greater China region, and also we understand that you're you're an honorary advisor to the Mexican Chamber of Commerce in China. Um, maybe we can start off with what are some of the common legal issues and concerns that Latin businesses face when conducting cross-border operations in China? And then maybe in a short while, we can move on to, you know, what are some of the more recent developments and trends that you have seen and heard? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, one very common request between the two regions, and let's take uh, Mexico as an example, yep. as you said, yep. Mexican Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the, Mexican, the Mexican Chamber of Commerce is, is the biggest Latin American chamber uh, here in China, so it actually covers all countries in Latin America, but let's focus right. on Mexico. What yep. is the, the usual request that is happening right now? What are the inquiries that are happening now? As we all know, they will come uh, because of the pandemic. So because of the pandemic, um, a lot of retails, a lot of companies, they started to move their companies out of China. That's right. Uh, the supply chain was disrupted uh, and they they are trying to fix that. They're trying to mm -hmm. fix that because there is um, there is some doubts on how China will act in terms yeah. of, of emergency. So yeah. um, Mexico right now is pushing into being that next powerhouse for manufacturing. And that is happening at the moment uh, a lot. A lot of companies, they are not only going to Southeast Asia, but they're also yeah. looking into Mexico right. for right. their production. I mean, the other day I was I was also listening to the, to some podcasts of a, of a major in a specific city in Mexico, and he said, yeah, we need to actually copy the China system on which we offer yeah. incentives. We create special zones for companies to, to welcome. And of course... What cannot, I mean, this cannot be more attractive than to have access to the North American market. That's right. Uh, between the North American treaty between Mexico, Canada, and United States, mm -hmm. they can take advantage of this. And uh, this is something that is happening right now. And uh, yes, it's, it's inevitable, I think. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, and, and how about in terms of, in terms of like um, common legal issues or concerns that, the Latin businesses face when they are entering into the Chinese market. Um, what what are some of these more 
common ones. I think earlier you mentioned some labor issues, especially where to set up, um, as well as uh, labor disputes potentially. But beyond that, um, what other legal concerns or issues you have you know, observed over the years? Usually they are related to contracts, contracts, supply of goods. Um, at the moment, I mean, of course, there is a lot of disputes regarding companies that had to close their operations during mm -hmm. pandemic and deliver the goods to their buyers in Latin right, America. Right. So trying to, to go into negotiations, trying mm -hmm. to see how these contracts were actually uh, drafted, because yeah. what, I've, what I have seen is that most of the time these contracts are drafted by people that are lawyers that are in Latin America, or right. they are just contracts that the factory just send them and they just decided to sign it. But uh, that, that is not how it works. I mean, there yeah. must be a mind that understands Chinese law and understands, yeah. in my case, Ecuadorian law to, mm -hmm. to reach a consensus and to see and to guarantee the client that they are going to get you know their money back or their goods. So that is a very, very big problem that we are facing at the moment. But also for, I think there's a... Um, there is a lack of knowledge on how Latin Americans do business in China, but there's also mm. a lot of lack of knowledge from Chinese companies on how they do business in Latin America. I think it goes uh, both ways, go both ways. So, um, I mean, we can see the issues that Latin Americans have when they want to enter the, the Chinese market in terms mm -hmm. of uh, where are they going to focus their market, uh, what yeah. kind of uh, shock in culture in terms of business, what kind of shocking culture they're going to have in doing businesses, but also for Chinese when they go to Latin America. And uh, of course, there, there, needs to be, there needs to be a guide to tell them, okay, this, these uh, regulations are, are very serious in our countries. You need to obey them. You need to follow yeah. the regulations. Um, but there's no such uh, training for these companies when yes. they when yes. they yes. The yes. market. So I think there's a lack of understanding of both sides, and mm -hmm. that needs to be fixed. On mm. I think it's on a long term by the practice. But <laughs> yes, this is something that is being uh, talked about and tries to be regulated by the, as you mentioned, the the free trade agreements, right? Yeah. Between yeah. regions. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about culture shocks. What's a, what's maybe one striking example that you remember or have observed um, in companies that you had worked with, or maybe just a general observation in general? A general observation is that probably you will face companies that they will offer you the world, they will offer oh. you everything. <laughs> And uh, there needs to be an auditing. There needs to be I a think. team to do an investigation to see yeah. what is actually happening behind this uh, this curtain, right? Um, I mean, yes, uh, during the meetings uh, between Chinese companies, Latin American companies, I mean, the, the companies are actually, you know, quite big and they will show yeah. you their premises. But what is happening behind these premises? Maybe there are companies that have a very low capital that they cannot yeah. cover if something gets lost uh, during the contract, maybe uh, lawsuits that the company has behind, but of course yeah. they're not they're not going to tell the client right away. So this work of of auditing of due diligence, I would yeah. say, is necessary. But again, this also happens with Latin American uh, Latin American countries. Yes. And yeah. in Latin American countries, probably this um, misplacement of information about companies would be directed into political instability that we have in mm. the in the 
So uh, political instability, it, uh, it also creates uh, problems in terms of security, yeah. uh, crime, uh, frauds. Um, so this also needs to be, uh, companies need to do also due diligence against the Latin American company because it's, it's not, it's an unstable region and it has yeah. been for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my job as, as an attorney is to is to seek for the best the best deals as possible, and they actually yeah. do for a very long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I I believe your in depth understanding of um the laws of both regions can definitely help to facilitate this. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. But we we also understand that you know um you currently speak three different languages. English, um, Chinese, as well as Spanish. And given your strength in um, various languages, how did it help you to facilitate communication as well as understanding cross-border legal matters? Uh, well, in under- I mean, Chinese language is, is a, when, for example, when I have to review some documentations, mm-hmm. there would be some contracts that they would say in one of the clauses that they would say that the Chinese version is actually uh, it would be the language that is assigned to the contract, even though that the language might be in two languages. They would say this see, contract is made due to uh, is going to follow Chinese language as the main yeah. language for services. Yeah. And I have found some discrepancies between the translations mm-hmm. in English, in Chinese, and Spanish and Chinese. Right. Which that, they don't actually say the same in, in both languages, and that could create some discrepancies and some problems if mm. you want to enforce this contract into yeah. arbitration or mediation courts. Um, and uh, sometimes it's not, because, I mean, it's very easy to take to take a clause that is in, uh, in English and then translate it to Chinese with any online platforms, but it's not yeah. that simple. You need a legal professional to actually check the exact uh, terminology that is for, yeah. is used for for legal terms because right. you change one word is going to change the situation completely for the client. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. very interesting. And 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 I think last question, um, touching upon one of the areas that you're really passionate about, which is you know the technology side of things that you had also alluded to in your introduction. Um, would you be able to share some insights and experiences with us in terms of how you have seen the integration of new technologies such as artificial intelligence, AI, um, blockchain in enhancing the legal practice and administration, and how how that can help to you know facilitate and grow the legal sector in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. In terms of artificial intelligence, I mean, we do have uh, very, very recent developments and very, very recent usage that we see nowadays. Everybody's talking about chat GPT. Yeah. And they're all talking about creating a platform that is similar to chat, to chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Well, chat GPT is not something new. It has been a technology that has been developing for, for at least seven years. Yeah. But nobody gets the name. I mean, the company that actually created the system, of course, they became famous as the name and ChatGPT, but there's also more than uh, 30 other platforms that do that do this. They use artificial yeah. intelligence um, to generate uh, these uh, more comprehensive responses, right, or comprehensive requirements that we have. So um, there are quite some news. There were uh, quite some news, the, uh, I mean, some months ago that 
a lawyer somewhere in the U.S. decided to use ChatGPT <laughs> to to draft a subpoena. Uh, so the the judge kind of found out about this, and and of course he was fine um, because of using and there were some elements and some mistakes in the into this into this piece of paper uh, that was made by the artificial intelligence. But uh, that's the thing in terms of relying. I mean, as as lawyers, we shouldn't be relying on artificial intelligence to 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 draft these uh, these papers for us, these subpoenas for us, or these uh, statements for us. It should be a tool to, it could be a very useful tool for us, for example, to summarize uh, a court decision. And yeah. we have like, a decision in order to summarize it, uh, not for the sake of us just for reading the court decision. We still have to read the whole thing. Yes, yes. But if we want to give a short version uh, to a client, they say, okay, so this is 20 pages. Of course, they are not going to do 20 pages. <laughs> please, uh, ChatGPT or whatever interface, please help me to summarize this to tell the client, you know. But us as lawyers, we use it as a tool. It's not a replacement to our work. And yep. that is something that people need to, to understand. I mean, these technologies are there to help us to do our work better, not to replace us. It cannot be right. taking us because it can create a lot of risks and if somebody gets to jail you're not going to blame a computer for that so um that uh, that is my my thoughts but in terms of using for example mm -hmm. uh, technology artificial intelligence for for management inside yeah. a law firm for example yeah. in terms of intellectual property um that could be a very interesting approach that could mm -hmm. be very interesting let's say that uh, in terms of intellectual property, we do have currently a system that you would have to register your patents, your trademarks in yeah. a specific region, and according to different international treaties, it can be recognized in some, in some mm -hmm. countries, mm -hmm. but not all of them. So yeah. um, what if we had a system, like a blockchain system, that could be, that could be, cannot be changed that can be recognized by uh, countries around the world yeah and uh, you have your trademark for an international recognition and this is not something new it has always it has already been tried and, and developed yeah. by some by some companies the idea and also mm -hmm. the international organizations uh, wipo uh, un they have seen the power of these new technologies yeah. in order to to make access in terms of intellectual property uh, easier for for the general public so um technology is, is a tool, it's not a replacement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, watch that. Practice. And yes, that's that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> nice. I'm really really excited to see how you know technology can help to transform the industry going ahead. <laughs> Thank you for sharing with us your insights regarding the um, cross-border experiences across the Latin region as well as China region. I've learned a lot myself and really excited to see how this will continue to develop in the next few years. No problems. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Business Beyond Borders. If you have any feedback or thoughts, do write in to us at support at bluen.com. Click to follow to tune into the next episode. See you again soon.